Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. We are in the midst of a series that emerged. It started as a one-off, but God keeps doing something, and it's now three weeks in. And we're talking about zeal, a word, as I shared on the first week, that has dropped off in usage. You just have to look at Google's Ngram Viewer, which shows you the amount that words have been used in printed material. And uh, the word zeal was big in the 18th century, big in the 19th century, but drops off at the beginning of the 20th century. And so we've been looking at zeal, this word, and what it means for us spiritually. It's a deeply biblical word. And it's almost one of those things that once it's revealed to you and you start to read your scriptures, you'll start to see it everywhere. So I wanted to begin today with recounting a historic act of Christian zeal. In the 5th century, across parts of France, the United Kingdom and Ireland, really there wasn't singular kings. There was patchworks of kingdoms. But not only were there kingdoms, that often kings need people around them to justify their particular rule. And justifying this particular rule was a religious establishment. This religious establishment was known as the Druids. And so just as there was this patchwork of kingdoms, there was an interlocking, connective groups of these Druidic priests who claimed all kinds of things. This was not a world where you had a strong distinction between the spiritual and the secular, where you would go to a religious event in a hall somewhere and then leave that and get into the world of other things not connected to religion. Religion touched everywhere, and everywhere had a sense of being part of a spiritual battle. But at this time, the Druids ruled. And in 1433, the pagan Celtic king who ruled over Ireland decided to reinforce the fact that he had taken not just political control but spiritual control over Ireland and he did this by deciding to create a festival and in this festival he would light a great fire which was an offering to the sun god Baal. And he issued a decree that anyone lighting a fire that could compete with these holy fires dedicated to this sun god that actually they could be punished by death. And so he lit this great fire as an offering to his gods and the pagan druidic priests gathered around these fires. But then on a hill not too far away, they saw another fire that captured their attention. And this was a fire that had been lit in holy defiance by a man who'd been brought to Ireland in slavery, a young man who we know today as St. Patrick. And on this hill with chutzpah and zeal, he lit this great fire, not as an offering to this sun god or any of the different gods that the Druids worshipped. He lit it as an offering of worship a remembrance of Easter to Christ whom he worshipped. There's different accounts of these stories and some of the legends around St. Patrick veer into hyperbole. But the basic facts that we can get from this story is that the pagan king was incensed and he sent warriors to confront Patrick for this act of insubordination. 
Different accounts say some were overcome by the Holy Spirit, mistaking it for a more powerful magic. Others became Christians as they tried to get Patrick to put out this fire. The king was not converted, but he was impressed by the boldness of Patrick and granted him permission to preach the gospel throughout Ireland. The rest is history. Ireland is thoroughly Christianized. And what we see at this moment, that this holy defiance, this zeal of Patrick, actually enables a new creation to come and break through in the nation of Ireland. And what I want to talk about as we focus on zeal this week is that zeal births new creation. Why? Why why does zeal birth new creation? Because God himself creates with zeal. Let's look at the scriptures. All throughout, I just want to focus particularly on Isaiah. All throughout Isaiah, we see this theme again and again. Isaiah 9, uh, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. What's he talking about here? This is a prophecy speaking of the kingdom of God that will come through Jesus Christ. How will this happen? Isaiah goes on. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The entire kingdom of God, this project of redemption and salvation in the world, will be accomplished by what? The zeal of God. Isaiah 26 verse 11 says this, Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. The zeal of God creates this kingdom of God, the coming of the Messiah. But this zeal of God also applies to you. God has tremendous zeal to see the potential in you. We see that in the story of what Brit just shared. When Brit rocked up to a sewer, I wasn't literally in a sewer. It was near a sewer. And by the way, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the next title of my book, From the Sewer to the Royal Albert Hall. Um, <laughs> But what God had for Brit, even when perhaps other people didn't see it, and she didn't see it herself, was a zeal to see her transformed by the love of Christ into the likeness of Christ. And I just want to dare to say, if he had that for Brit, he's probably got that for you as well. And not probably, Scripture's saying he does. Isaiah 42, verse 13, the Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. A little bit countercultural, this one, to our general mood in contemporary Christianity. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. Like, this is not an image we think of God. Like, what's he doing there? I think of like a haka or something at this point. Like, he's, he's stirring up his zeal. As God. I love the next one, Isaiah 59, verse 17. What is God's fashion? God is fashioned in zeal. He wraps himself in it like a cloak. So indicative is it of his character. What's all this telling us? It's telling us that God is zealous and that we created in God's image and transformed into Christ's likeness will be marked by zeal. The more God is at the center of your life, the more you are following Christ, the more you will be a person of zeal. 
So if we're creating his image, we're marked by zeal. And this means that one of the ways that God is going to birth new things, new creation in the world, is through God's zeal being more manifest in our lives. So this means that that's going to be a key spiritual battlefield as the enemy, Satan, who wanders like a a prowling lion, will come against the birthing of new things in the world and break through by coming against your zeal. How will he do this? We've talked about this in some of the other weeks. We talked about misdirected zeal, to which the antidote is humility. But also what can happen is there can be this reaction to misdirected zeal or things that we think are zeal but really are just busyness or hype or human energy. And then this leads us into a posture of retreat from the spiritual battle. Evagrius, who was one of the desert fathers, this group of Christians who reacted to the compromise of Christianity in a lot of places of power and then retreated to the Egyptian desert, He's famous because he came up with the seven deadly sins. And one of them, sloth, was originally uh, translated acedia. We did a whole series on this a number of years ago. And acedia is something that we need to rediscover. I'm going to read a definition of acedia, which they saw as a spiritual issue. It says this, it described a lack of care about one's life, a listless, restless, spiritual lethargy. The condition left one yearning for distraction and continual novelty, exploiting one's petty hates and hungers. It dissolved one's capacity for attending, for living as if life mattered into a series of itches demanding to be scratched. Ultimately, it was a dehumanizing, corrosive of meaning. It was a spiritual death. That's by Richard Seymour. Interestingly, not a Christian. Political guy writing about our current culture and how it's been shaped. So the enemy will spiritually bring over you a sediate because the enemy does not want you to have zeal, because when zeal happens, new things are birthed in the world according to God's kingdom. So why is it? Why is zeal important? Well, Nick Ilay, a pastor from the US, says this, you can have great momentary passion for anything, speaking about it, and even stirring other people's hearts toward it. But when it comes to putting that passion into action, that's where zeal comes in. Nick describes a story that him and his wife decided to run a marathon. And he talks about this in the training regime. He was fired up, he was downloading apps, getting all the gear, and then he just jumps ahead in the story and he says, and then six months later, my wife finished the marathon while he watched her finish, he didn't run. And he said they both had tremendous passion for the marathon, however, only his wife finished it because she had the zeal to continue. You see, here's a little mathematical equation I did. Passionate intent plus determined action equals zeal. Our world is filled with all kinds of passionate intent and feelings and emotions and hype and energy, but it has to meet with determined action to actually be translated into zeal. And if you think about this biblically, this is like what zeal does is zeal incarnates, puts flesh on, just as Jesus was incarnated into the world, zeal incarnates passion into the world of action, into the real world. This is why zeal is so important. Zeal births new things. Okay. End of act one. What, what am I? Some bad 
theatre actor. I want to transition just for a second, because I want to talk about something where I think zeal is really important at this moment. And I want to talk about something that I think is happening in the world that we need to be attentive to. Now, there's a term that got thrown around. It's called the, called the, the vibe shift. And it's invented by the guy who actually came up with the term normcore, which is dressing really normal. And he's a trends forecaster from New York called Sean Monaghan. And in 2021, he caused a stir online when he wrote an article, uh, which I think was on his Substack, called The Vibe Shift. And basically, let's give you a definition by someone else who wrote another viral article, Alison P. Davis, who's another trend fashion forecaster from New York. And she said this, she said, a vibe shift is, is the catchy but sort of too cool term for a relatively simple idea. In the culture, sometimes things change and a once dominant social wavelength starts to feel dated. Now, the reason that this article took off is it came in 2021 and it was just after COVID and particularly in the US, I mean, we were still in lockdown in here in Melbourne, but people were emerging after this period of lockdown for, you know, different states, it was different for about a year. And people began to re-engage the world and people thought the world would be the same, but it actually changed. And what this article was talking about, and I'm just going to brace you, this may be emotionally troubling for some people in the room. So I'm going to give a jokey trigger award. Learn. It's, not, it's not shocking. The big vibe shift was that, he says it here, Sean Monaghan, the idea of the vibe shift was very much informed by the late spring of 2021. Millennials went into lockdown still feeling young, but they came out shocked to find the first cohort of Zoomers or Gen Z were now ruling the roost. <laughs> So that's my trigger warning for any millennials in the room. Just, we've got a whole team of pastoral carers afterwards too. Yeah. Monaghan was shocked to go around New York and something that he found completely disgusting to his millennial uh, aesthetic taste was these particular trucker hats. But Gen Z were wearing them everywhere and they almost seemed to be wearing them in defiance of millennials, defining themselves against millennials. And Gen Z were wearing fashions and doing things basically to rebel against the generation that went before. And this was deeply shocking because he called it, another great term he has, the Peter Pandemic. <laughs> that millennials were actually engaged in a Peter Pan pandemic where they still thought they were young. Now, I don't want to beat up a generation here. I'm more making the point, I'm going to stop talking about fashion because it's, yeah, whatever. Um, but, what can happen is, at certain times, we're so used to a trend being in fashion, an idea being prevalent everywhere, that we think it's just going to continue like that. How do we miss a vibe shift? Well, Monaghan had a great little quote. He said, the internet is mundane, real life is where the action is. The internet is actually a poor guide to what's really happening. And sometimes in Christianity, we can be so much online even, what did that pastor say over here? Here's this controversy over here. What's that podcast saying? That we can miss what's actually happening in the spiritual reality on the street and in the neighborhood. The other thing is that we can miss the passage of time, thinking that we're still young and we've got decades and decades ahead of us and things can change. Young people live in different contexts and we can think that we're still young. And that's something that just grips our culture. You see that in that, like in the probably 1988, young adults ministry stopped at 21. 
Uh, but you see churches, it's growing out. I've literally had people ringing me this, like, Mark, got this issue. Got a young adults ministry, but I've got people who are like 38, 39 who want to be in the young adults ministry. Are they young adults? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is, is we get stuck missing a vibe shift because we just repeat what everyone else is doing and just mimicry, which is so much part of our time. Now, I just want to describe, I think, the previous vibe. There was a bit of a vibe, again, because we look at the internet that people outside the church are super down on the church in Australia, and that, that makes sense, because we've seen some big public scandals, you'd think that would make sense. Secondly, we would think that we're in this rapidly secularizing culture that people are just not interested in God anymore, there's little spiritual hunger out there. Secondly, I think because there are stacks of pastors that came out of the pandemic exhausted and tired and, and all kinds of stuff happening. I totally get that. But we started seeing that the spiritual vibe was actually set by exhausted pastors online talking about that versus what was happening in Flinders Lane. And so something was changing, and I think we've missed it, and we need to be attentive to it. The first sense I had that there was a vibe shift happening was uh, when the lockdown lifted and 2020 to the beginning, Grace, my daughter, and I went to the city just to check it out. Was it still there? We couldn't have, you know, couldn't travel five, five Ks. So went to the CBD, headed, and we actually went through the block arcade. Not, people, not many people around. A lot of the shops were still shut. But in the block arcade, standing in front of me, I looked ahead and thought, it's a figure, someone's standing there, and they're wearing a cloak. This is really weird. And I got to this, and next to this figure with this cloak and a broom, there was this huge line of predominantly young women in their early 20s. And I got closer, and I got around the front of this figure, and it was a really creepy, scary figure that was obviously not human. It was a mannequin, but it was basically dressed as a sort of pagan priestess image thing. It looked more like it should have been in 433 Celtic Island Druidic religion than in the Block Arcade in Melbourne in 2022. And it hit me. We open up and we've all bought this thing that Australia is rapidly secularizing and the hottest place once Melbourne opens up that people are banging down a door to get to is not donuts or, you know, I don't know, a coffee that's been dribbled through the silk of a rare earthworm, that actually what it is, is people lining up to basically get a psychic reading and to have something spoken to them. Not long after, the, you know, that, about a year later, and we just come up to the year anniversary, we've spoken about here at Asbury, we've, we're going to be talking more about this year, this year, there's some stuff happening around that. But at Asbury, you have this outpouring, which we've been praying for. Yeah, it's in Kentucky, it's on the other side of the world. Yeah, it's America, it's the South. All the caveats we can put up there. But what you see is Gen Z fully giving themselves for God in a wholehearted way that I'm just going to say it had zeal. And speaking to David Thomas who's the shepherd of that, he said what, Mark, what really, something he noticed was that people, the young people wanted moral clarity. They wanted holiness. They wanted confession. They wanted repentance. We saw this 
little outbursts of different places. We began to get messages as we do our Rebuilders podcast of people like having effects like this in some rural church in Canada or Scotland or somewhere in a province in South Africa. There were these moves. It wasn't happening at massive mega churches or the main places that actually something was moving and a lot of it was happening amongst people who were coming back to some sort of zealous faith in really surprising ways. When Pete Gregg came here, we saw that as under-25s got on stage and we saw this passion. But it's not just about young people. I'm speaking of friends who were, in a sense, tired and burnt out, but the passion's back that God could actually move. We had Beck share her story that she's walking on the beach on holidays in, uh, in, in the U.S., on in LA and two ladies come up and say, can we pray for you? And, and she's like, yes. And they say, are you from Australia? And they say, yes. And they say, we have this sense that God's going to move in Australia. This is bizarre. We got a message this week from a church that's just getting prophetic words that have reached out saying, we're not in Australia, we're overseas. We're getting a sense that God's going to do something here. We see it in the stories. I, I, I talked to famous atheists all of a sudden exploring faith for the first time, people who are part of the new atheist movement. You see this in the story of different, in sports, I, mean, I could go into so many details where it's rare to find someone who's a Christian and all of a sudden I'm watching British footballers getting baptized in droves, all under 25. Something is happening there. And then the weird thing is, all the stuff that's happened in Australia, like Qantas has been skewered, Woolworths skewered, public coming against institutions, and then research comes out, and it actually says trust in the church is rising in Australia. What's going on? It's a vibe shift towards zeal. It's this sense that people are interested in the church and interested in faith if it has the zeal. If it doesn't, they're not interested. So the vibe shift is zeal or nothing. And I think this is, comes as a shock for people who are shaped to the contours of popular Christian culture as it has been for the last decade, even in the last five years. Something is happening and we need to reset because I think we have a, a responsibility to those coming after. They want to see that people really believe this stuff. Kevin Brown, president of Asbury, says this in reflection, uh, in an article he wrote for Christianity Today, reflecting on what he's seen amongst Gen Z. He says, I hope a remnant will emerge out of this cohort whose steadfast commitment will radically restore a non-domesticated, exilic, meaning in cultural exile, and fundamentally demanding spirit of historical Christianity. Now, what births remnants? What births this? Isaiah 37 verse 32 says, For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord shall accomplish this. The church has to catch up to the vibe shift that's happening around there with zeal. I spoke to a friend that we were standing, we're in New Zealand, and I talked to one of my friends who I really trust, and he said to me, he said, Mark, my fear is at this time, so many leaders and so many people in the church are just wanting to retreat and go and raise chickens. Now, nothing wrong with raising chickens. Chickens are awesome, eggs are even better. But there's a sense where at this moment where there's spiritual opening, where so many people are coming from around the world to Australia and settling here, we have an incredible opportunity. You may not know it. Different weeks. We're getting people from different religions coming here, people having dreams and wanting to know more about who this Jesus is that we just sang his name. There is a moment here. But the zeal of the Lord is what is going to birth it. 
I just want to just contextualize this really just, just quickly as I move into, oh, let's call it Act 3. I move into Act 3. You see, often how we've thought about church is this. You have services, you have programs or different practices, and you're hoping that it results in transformed lives. Sometimes that happens, absolutely. And we pushed deep into growing our different services, and, and you know, we had, we had one service, as Britt said, it was you know, like a handful of people in a strange building. We had a lot of strange buildings at the beginning, they all weren't sewage plants. But we, we had a lot of different things, and we did lots of habits and practices, and we'd have like monk for a month, we're doing all this stuff for years. But often it wouldn't seem to result in transformed lives. And then what happens is, COVID happens and you can't do the services. And then it takes longer to come out of the services because people are taking longer to come out of COVID. There's a great washing machine as people are moving around church trying to resettle. But what began to happen, I think, last year is that God began to do something amongst us. A lot of it was in weakness. A lot of it was not because the team were running this amazing programmatic strategy. A lot of it was actually because we were going through some tough stuff. But in the midst of it, a passion for God and a realization that services and programs are not going to do it, more practices is not going to do it, that actually what is going to do it is actually this passion for God and a realization that only He can move. And I think of Psalm 69, verse 9, zeal for your house consumes me. What is the house he's speaking about here? What he's speaking about is the temple, the tabernacle. What is he talking about is the dwelling place of the presence of God. We can't cause a move of God to happen. We can't cause an outpouring. We can't cause spiritual transformation in our own strength. But what we can do is have zeal for the receptacle, the place where God's presence comes and honors his presence coming amongst us. And so what we begin to see Last year is the zeal for his dwelling place grow. We had people going to the prayer room. We built a prayer room. We had people praying. We had people coming on Tuesday night. We had things like the renewal sessions and people having zeal for his dwelling place, getting up and this sense of being overtaken by something. Was it everyone? No. But was it a group of people? And when a group of people in a church, a remnant do this, it has a spiritual translation that begins to change things. And I remember just two weeks before the first lockdown, we had John Mark here, coma, chockers all through the day, so many people, and it just felt like at this moment. And it's interesting this moment, like we're back at this point where like it's taken a couple of years to recover and we're back and people are coming and there's a sense of momentum and, and the service has been full. We're having to open up the back and looking at new things to do, planted Camberwell, done a whole bunch of things. And I just felt this check of the Lord say, don't forget the zeal for your house. That actually what got us to this point is not because we're doing services better or that's not the way forward. That actually what God is asking us to, to build amongst us, to stir up, is actually zeal for his dwelling place. God births new things in his people through zeal. You were created to have zeal, not to be exhausted, sickened, or disappointed by the world. Zeal is given by God to birth new things in us. There is this opportunity before us in this moment, and I think there is a next generation of young people coming 
who are actually wanting to see people filled with zeal for God and his dwelling place. Now, some of you hear this, and I know the stories. There are people who have been overtaken by this in particular ways that they can't explain. I chatted to Dara. I'm putting on the spot here for a second. Uh, Dara. Just bumped into Dara. She's heading to the prayer room. What is remarkable is Dara and I, we talked about trees. They used to be in my backyard because Dara and I knew each other when we were little kids and climbed on trees that were in my backyard. Unfortunately, the tree has been chopped down. But Dara just shared. She said, you know, I came to church. I did the Christian stuff. But she found herself last year being overtaken by this zeal for God's word to the point she couldn't stop reading the Bible. She couldn't stop praying. She's like, man, this, this is like something I've never experienced. This is profoundly transformative on Dara. As I said, I've known her since she was, we were both little kids. That's what happens when zeal takes over someone. And I think at this point, what we can do is we can just think that's just a few of the people that's going to happen to you. But I just want to say, you were created in God's image. You're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that means the zeal of God is going to start to move through you as you get closer to him. So we need to be a church at this point. When, yeah, things are looking better than they have been in the last couple of years, we need to not forget that this has been built not by our power, but actually by knees in the prayer room. That this has actually been, been built by, by prayers of desperation in tough moments. That actually God is inviting us to step into something different. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop talking now. So I think all the information that needs to be communicated has been communicated. This series, I feel, is about God giving us a vision. There is a vibe shift in the world. Young people, people coming to church are looking for a church that is on fire. And many of us feel like, hang on, I'm just, I'm just hanging on. I'm tired. I'm getting through life. We'll talk more next week about what it looks like to live this in the everyday. But I just want to invite us into a moment. Because you know what I've, I've learned is... At the end of the day, zeal comes from moments of encounter. And I'd love to just open up a moment of encounter. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand. And we're going to do something here that we do at Red. It's something that when I first um, was 20, in my early 20s, and I was ministering under Alan Deb Hirsch, who my first pastor, pastors in, in Churches of Christ, and they would have this thing, and I could never work out exactly what it was. I was used to altar calls. I was used to communion. But it seemed a blend of an altar call and communion. And this is something that we've received. It's, it's, it's not a normal thing. Communion is the beautiful act of breaking bread with Jesus, taking off the juice which represents his blood, taking off the bread which represents his body given for us. He did this with his, his disciples on the night before his death, and he asked us to do it in remembrance of him. And when we do this, we do it with each other. We're a communal people. We're created to be a people not leading individual life projects, but actually God's project amongst us. So we do it horizontally with each other, but we also do it vertically with God. And when we meet with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And I believe that God wants to give zeal to people today.
He was doing it last week, week before. He wants to do this. He wants to reorientate us. I feel that, that, that there is a whole raft of people that God wants to get on the zeal train at this church, into the prayer room, with passion in your workplaces, in your relationships, and a CD has been coming again. So I'm just going to do a couple of things. What we're going to do is there's, there's four stations, corners of the room, where you can come and take communion. There's the, the crackers and the juice. There's the COVID safe ones. Whatever you want to take. But also, down the front, there is a little step. And what I'm going to invite you to do, if you want to come and take communion, meet with Jesus, ask that his zeal rubs off on you. Jesus, we know that Satan comes against zeal. We know that the enemy brings things like a seedy, a distraction, restlessness, tiredness, that is not just normal tiredness, it's like a sloth, it's like an ennui, it's like something which overtakes us. We're going to ask in Jesus' name that that is broken off right now. And if anyone feels a heavy blanket of anything that has come against them, in Jesus' name, we pray that is broken off now. We pray that you'll open up a space. We confess where we have been distracted, where we have, have not focused on you. And Jesus, at this moment, we want to focus on you with the, the intensive and oxycetylene torch right now, Jesus. And the fact that you love us, you forgive us, that the transformational stories I've just given about Dara, what we've heard about Brit, these aren't just stories. These can be stories for us too. So Jesus, at this moment where literally half the world seems to be moving to Melbourne and people are open and there is spiritual battles out there and openness at the same time, may we be people marked by zeal. So as you take communion, invitation, no coercion or anything here, I'm not going to hype it up in any way. If you just want to come and kneel and pray for zeal at this front of this church, let this be a meeting place with the presence of God where his zeal rubs off on you. 